0: You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now. Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shachman. Amidst all the upheaval in the world, the rapidity of change, and the perception, if not the reality, of more violence, the trauma we carry with us seems to be reaching epic proportions, not to even mention those on the front lines of war, famine, and insurrection. Historically and medically, we know that this trauma left untreated accrues to future generations and feeds the cycle that ultimately creates more trauma. How then can we heal and see the cutting edge of those efforts scaled up to meet the needs of today's modern world? We're gonna talk about that today with my guest, Dr. James Gordon. Dr. Gordon is a Harvard-educated psychiatrist. He's a former researcher at the National Institute of Mental Health and chairman of the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry and family medicine at Georgetown Medical School and is the founder and executive director of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. James Gordon to the program to talk about his latest work, The Transformation. Discovering Wholeness and Healing After Trauma. Dr. James Gordon, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. It's good to be here this morning.
0: It's great to have you here. How are we looking at trauma differently today than we did 15, 20 years ago?
1: Well, I think that we uh, don't have our heads buried quite as deep in the sand <laughs> as we did 20 years ago, that we're starting to actually look at it. For a long time, uh, and your introduction sort of brought this up for me, for a long time, uh, everyone, sort of everyone in public life, including much of my profession, didn't want to look too closely at psychological trauma. You can see this very clearly in the way we've dealt with the trauma of combatants in the military, both in the United States and, and also in Britain and other places, that it's been very difficult for a variety of reasons, some political, much more than medical, and some economic, to really look at the damage that war does to people. Not only the physical damage, the destruction, the wounds, physical wounds, but also the deep psychological damage that comes to so many combatants. So for a long time, uh, military medicine was, you know, no, no, this is, these people are cowardly, or it's a weakness. Um, And it took really, it wasn't until the Vietnam War uh, that we really fully began to recognize the effects of trauma, and that a lot of that came about because of the vets themselves coming together and beginning in the, in rap groups to talk about what was going on, and there was a big fight about whether to include post-traumatic stress disorder in the psychiatry's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And even now, often, you know, although the VA has done some wonderful work in working with people who are traumatized, there's often resistance to saying to somebody who's obviously not only distressed, but pretty disabled by psychological trauma, you, you've got the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder because there are economic implications. Those people have to be supported uh, by the military in an ongoing way. So it's a, it's a struggle. And the other piece Is that if we look at the extent of trauma, then we have to start looking, if we keep our eyes open and our vision not too narrowed, we have to start looking at what's causing all the trauma. And do we want to do something about that as well? Mm -hmm.
0: What about the additional information, the additional stuff that we have learned with respect to childhood trauma, how early it takes place and how lasting the
1: impact is? I think that's, that's very important. The studies that were done uh, in the early 1990s on uh, adverse childhood experiences, essentially the abuse and neglect that comes to children. And one of the startling things was how many children in the United States are affected. And not just kids whom you might expect in families that are, you know, obviously contending with poverty and violence in their neighborhood, but among well-to-do uh, middle, upper-middle-class families very high incidence of uh, abuse and neglect, which in turn give rise later on in life to depression, anxiety, alcoholism, make you much more uh, likely to have chronic physical as well as emotional illnesses predisposed to post-traumatic stress disorder and to much higher incidence of suicide. So I think with that, those adverse childhood experiences, many um clinicians are beginning to focus on those and, and understand the importance of those, then that, that's a development in recent years as well.
0: And and the other p- part of that, which is also has, has broader implications, the way in which some of this trauma is passed on, the way it passes on to, to future generations.
1: Yeah, I you know, the, the, the research and the science is beginning to be there. I'll say a word about that in a minute. But I I think the... The, you know, posing the kind of question that you just posed is not one that is done nearly so frequently as it should. We, we now know that trauma that occurs to an individual is not only passed on you know, by a, a pregnant mom to the, the child that's in, uh, that's in her womb, but is passed on for at least two more generations And those changes are what is technically called uh, epigenetic. EPI means above in Greek. So these are changes in the way the genes express themselves in the body, not changes in the structure of the genes, the way mutations come about when you uh, expose a a person to x-rays, for example. But these are changes in structures in the chromosome to modify how the genes operate. And that can take place in many ways. The most significant one, perhaps, is genes that are responsible for helping us to deal with stress become less, um, less well-functioning if the, uh, it, the, those genes in the child and the grandchild are function less well if the grandparent has been severely traumatized. And these are animal studies that have been done that show this and also some very interesting pioneering work done by Rachel Yehuda uh, at Mount Sinai Hospital on Holocaust survivors and showing that people who were in concentration camps or had to deal with Nazi persecution, that those epigenetic changes were passed on to their children and their grandchildren and that the psychological and behavioral changes took place even in those grandchildren who were not brought up by their parents. So there's obviously a social component to passing on trauma, but there's also a very deep genetic component to passing on trauma. So those kids who were raised by other people still have the same genetic changes and still have the same vulnerability to stress. It's a kind of biblical quality to this, being passed on from generation to generation.
0: And what is all of this new research? Where does it all lead us in terms of of understanding both the genetic component and and the broader framework of of PTSD, et cetera, all the things we've talked about? Where does that lead us in trying to deal with it? Traditionally, we've looked at it as one-size-fits-all but certainly we see a lot more difference now in in the way this manifests itself. How does it impact how we treat it today?
1: Well, I I think there are a a couple of important points here. One is that if you understand that these epigenetic changes may have happened and the trauma has been passed on from one generation to the next – people who have um, distressing symptoms, people who may be anxious about being with other people or who are you know, particularly irritable or fearful in certain situations, they may start realizing that this is not a moral defect, uh, that this may well be resulting from trauma that's been passed on from generation to generation. So I think in some ways, even though it may seem at first a bit ominous, it's also reassuring because you have an idea that that's why I'm acting the way I do. I don't have, I'm not endangered every day, but I act as if I were. And maybe that's coming from what happened to my parents or grandparents. Yeah. The second piece that I think is really important as far as uh, dealing with the trauma is that the techniques that I describe in the transformation and the complete program that I put together has been shown in somewhat different forms to reverse these epigenetic changes. So a number of the techniques that we use that I, and I, I describe in the book, like meditation and physical exercise and connection with other people, all can contribute to reversing these epigenetic changes and helping people overcome the vulnerability that's been passed on to them. So that's really important and the message is you can do something to deal with the trauma. That it's, there's no, it's not that there's a magic bullet outside as you you point out, it's not that there's a drug that's gonna do it, but you have within yourself the capacity to use tools of self-awareness and self-care to reverse these changes.
0: How broad is the medical field at the moment that understands this? That really is is looking at this in the same kind of holistic way that you're talking about.
1: Uh, it's beginning in places. There's still too much reliance on a narrow medical model, which says that the physician or the hospital system or the clinician has the answer and whether the answer is in pharmacotherapy or the answer is in one-on-one psychotherapy, uh, which can in some cases be helpful, but the much bigger answer is one which is a bit challenging for much of the medical establishment because it says that those of us who are physicians or mental health professionals, that our primary role is to teach other people to give them the tools and techniques they need to reverse these changes and to live more fulfilling lives. It's a shift from being a treater, primarily, to being a teacher. And medical establishment, in many ways, resists that because the whole identity is tied up with being a treater. And so somehow, you know, science science advances slowly. Max Planck, the great physicist, once said that science advances funeral by funeral. (laughs) <laughs> it's a bit a bit grim but but it's it's new people coming into the field. The younger people are much more open to this perspective and in the training programs we do at the Center for Mind Body Medicine, we see people from all the different health professions, uh, including some leaders in the profession who are beginning to wake up to this. Uh, this new perspective, this new perspective that's grounded in science and really a, a more democratic view of what health care is about. But it's a process and it's, you know, it's it's a it's challenging. It's challenging ideologically. People have been trained in a certain way. Um, it's challenging perhaps economically to some people as well, because. It, um, in a way, it encourages independence in patients and clients rather than dependence, and much of the work can be done working with people in groups. So it's a different, it's a very different model. And but what I'm seeing, especially in recent years, people who've been in touch with me, including clinical leaders in, in a variety of communities, they they, they are becoming aware that this may be the way, maybe the best way to deal with what, at the beginning of the program you suggested, is a very, very widespread phenomenon of people being affected by trauma.
0: And of course, like everything else today, the speed at which everything happens is, is quickening, even though the solutions to this are, as you say, a little bit slower. Talk about that disconnect and, and how that can, can deal with the reality of people looking for instant solutions today.
1: Well, you know, I think that while, um, while the medical establishment is catching up with what's possible, I think people, uh, everybody has to um, take a much more active role in their own, in their own care. And that's, that's why I wrote The Transformation, is to give people a handbook, a guidebook, practical instruction as well as uh, scientific evidence for the efficacy of these techniques, which are uh, simple and can be used by anyone. So I think it's a shift. We have to realize that while while the medical establishment is moving ahead at its pace, everybody needs to take on this responsibility for themselves, both individually and also that um, it, what can also be very helpful to us is connecting with other people and learning how to better take care of and understand ourselves in tandem with people, fa- family members, friends, others in our community. And the other, another point is, and this one um, is interesting because we've seen this this one in a variety of communities we work with in, uh, in in the United States and overseas, including in Northern California, where we've been working in Sonoma County which I know is right next door to you uh, over the last year or two, is that communities are beginning to come together. And people, leaders in the community, whether leaders in health or public health or education or business leaders, are understanding that we need to come together as a community to learn these ways of dealing with our trauma and our ongoing stress. And so that's that's very hopeful, the I mean, understanding That this is a problem that is not just an individual or family problem this is a community problem.
0: Is trauma diagnosed in and of itself today or is it often part of a broader range of of symptoms a broader diagnosis that needs to be taken into account and how are doctors dealing with that?
1: You know that's a really good question and and the reason I'm having hesitation is because I go back to the roots of modern psychiatry with the work that Freud and Breuer did in the latter part of the 19th century, and they focused on trauma as the major force in a whole variety of conditions, a whole variety of psychological conditions, a whole variety of physiological conditions as well. So that's deep in in a sense in the DNA of psychiatry and of the mental health professions and so it should be it should be focused on but, but what's happening too much I'm afraid still, or not still, this is even a more modern development is there's a focus on symptoms and how those symptoms fit into a particular diagnostic box and then Excuse me. and then developing a kind of algorithmic treatment, which much too often is pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. for that particular diagnosis. So losing, um, becoming um, or main, maintaining a kind of ignorance of the roots of these conditions, which is so often, uh, you know, far more often than not, Is in trauma and instead just looking at the symptoms and, and treating the symptoms. So this is a, we've got to get, in a sense, in order to get back to the root of the conditions, we have to get back to the root of our profession, which really is looking at people's life experience, especially early life experience, but not only early life experience. That's a we have a later understanding in the mental health professions of the trauma that comes or may come at any portion of our lives and how much of an effect it has. So this is an, uh, and that's a great question. And it's an ongoing, um, I don't know, I suppose from my point of view, it's an ongoing struggle to get the profession to look at the roots of these, all these symptom pictures that are being presented. They are treated as they're, they're absolutely, separate from one another, and that they're not connected to the root and trauma.
0: Talk a little bit about some of the, the approach that you take and some of the things you talk about in the transformation.
1: Sure. I think, you know, basic understanding is that when we have been traumatized or when we've been under stress for a significant amount of time, that we're, we're out of balance. We're out of balance physiologically, psychologically, our social relations are out of balance. We're not in harmony often with our life's meaning and purpose. So at the beginning of the transformation, my my focus is really on once I've established some of the points that I've just made here, which is that whatever is going on with you, it's possible for you to understand where it comes from, and it's possible to do something about it. That's what I established at the beginning of the book, both with my experience and with stories and with some of the research that we've done and that's really important that people understand that there is hope for change because when we've been traumatized or we've been under stress for a long time whether psychologically or we have a chronic physical illness we often feel helpless and hopeless so i'm saying in the beginning there is hope and you can help yourself and then here's a way to do it so I begin by teaching people a very simple, uh, slow, deep breathing technique. Breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth, with your belly soft and relaxed. Saying to yourself, soft as you breathe in, belly as you breathe out, being aware of the breath and being aware of the feeling of relaxation in your belly, which then spreads to your whole body. And what this very simple technique does, and our listeners can, while they're listening to us, can just continue to pay attention to breathing more slowly and more deeply with your belly soft and relaxed. What this does is it balances out the fight or flight response, which is an emergency response, meant to be an emergency response, but when we've been significantly traumatized or stressed out, This response continues and causes all kinds of problems. What happens is our heart beats fast. Our blood pressure is up. The big muscles in our body are tensed as if we have to fight a predator or run from a predator. Our digestion doesn't work well. Centers in our brain responsible for fear and anger are firing off like crazy. And centers in the brain responsible for Thoughtfulness and self-awareness, decision-making and compassion are becoming shut down. So breathing slowly and deeply with belly soft and relaxed like this begins to reverse that process, begins to bring back online the frontal cortex of the brain so we can see things more clearly and with more judgment and be more aware and connect with other people. It begins to quiet those areas of fear and anger, and relax our body. Blood pressure goes down, heart rate goes down. So this is crucial first technique. Second technique that I teach pretty soon after is uh, soft belly breathing is a technically can be called a concentrative meditation. You're focusing on the breath, on the words soft belly, and on the feeling in your belly. Not long after, in the transformation and in my work with individual people or our work with whole populations, we get everybody up and get them shaking and dancing. And this is, at first people may say, what, what, what are you talking about? What is this about? And I say, look, just get up, do it, see what happens. And then you tell me what it's about. And what it is is just standing up with your knees a bit bent, and then beginning to shake up from your feet through your knees and hips, bringing the shaking up into your chest and shoulders and your head and just shaking like that. It's a fast rhythmic drumming or rhythmic music for five, six, ten minutes, whatever, whatever it is Then relaxing for a couple of minutes and then allowing your body to move with some music that's inspiring and energizing for you. What this does is, first of all, it helps to um, dissolve the fight-or-flight response because we're all tensed in fight-or-flight. It also helps us when we've gone into a state that the biologists, neurobiologists are calling freezing. And that's fight-or-flight comes when there's a threat to us. It comes to us as children when we're abused or neglected may come in a difficult situation in a relationship or at work where we feel all tense and it's as if even though it may be our boss at our job it feels like we're we're there with a lion and we either got to fight or get away the freeze response comes when the stress is overwhelming and inescapable so children who are significantly abused who can't get away from the parents who are abusing them somebody who has been assaulted by someone much stronger, someone who's been raped, people in combat or civilians in war or in the face of climate-related disaster where you can't do anything. And what happens in the freeze response is that we shut down and our body, it's like our body closes in on itself. We put out a lot of endorphins which protect us um, protect us from the pain we may be feeling because it's just too overwhelming. And we dissociate ourselves. It's as if sometimes in these extreme situations, it's not happening to me. I'm watching. I'm watching it happen, which is protective. And again, the problem is not with the response, which can be life-saving. It's when the response goes on and we're shut down, our body's tight, our emotions are locked up in our mind and our body and we can't connect with other people. Shaking and dancing melts that frozen state. Emotions start to come up. Body becomes more flexible. Our imagination starts coming into play. It's a little easier to connect with other people. So these are basic techniques I use right and teach right at the beginning of the transformation, and they help to set the stage for all the other techniques, 15, 20, 25 different techniques that I'm teaching uh, for how not only to recover from trauma but to build resilience and to discover resources and possibilities that we may never have before imagined that we had available to us. So that's a beginning, we work with drawings, we work with dance, we work with guided mental imagery encouraging people to spend time in nature, with animals, uh, exercises to promote gratitude, forgiveness, ways to befriend our body, and a long chapter on how to use food to recover from the effects of trauma. Uh, I mentioned that one in particular because I don't think that any, I've never seen another book on trauma that really talks about the incredible power Um, that food has to reverse the damage that trauma does both to our gastrointestinal tract and to our brain.
0: If trauma is
1: untreated,
0: does it get worse?
1: Um, It can. I think it all all depends. There are some people, some of the people, one of the first studies on the power of people to move through trauma and to be transformed on her was done on uh, the airmen who were in the Hanoi Hilton. They were captured during the Vietnam War, John McCain mm-hmm. being the best known of them. And in in that particular study, many of these guys somehow were able to move through whatever resources and strength they had as individuals and their connection with each other. And they they became in, in their estimation, not to deny with the terrible suffering, but they became better people. They became more thoughtful, more compassionate, more concerned about the world. That can happen. But for most people, unfortunately, it doesn't uh, usually happen that way. Usually what I've seen is people get locked in this state. They continue in some version of fight or flight and freeze. So they're anxious, they're irritable, they can't concentrate, they can't make use of their intellectual or imaginative gifts. They often have problems uh, coming close to other people. They function, many of them, function okay and sometimes function very well, but they're not really fulfilled. They're not really enjoying their life and they're much more vulnerable to all these psychological, chronic psychological and and physical conditions. So it's really, uh, I think it's really important that when I I, I wrote the book, when I wrote the transformation, I wrote it because a number of people had said after reading a previous book of mine on depression, they said, well, it's great. And the book is great for people who are depressed uh, and some of the techniques I can use, but, but why don't you write a book for everyone? And so I wrote the transformation for everyone because all of us, that sooner or later are gonna experience trauma. We're gonna experience significant stress It doesn't come early in life or when we're adults, it's certainly gonna come as we grow older and deal with frailty and the loss of people we love and our impending death. So the kind of program, as far as I'm concerned, that, uh, as far as the people who are reading the book are concerned, that that I'm that I'm presenting is one that should be just part of all of our education, part of all of our lives. These are just as we learn how to read and do arithmetic and you know, learn a bit about civics or American history, we need to learn about ourselves, and not just about the sort of raw facts of biology, but of how our biology works in us and how our mind works and what we can do. To enhance our well-being and our functioning, and to become more aware, this is a significant part or should be a significant part of our education, and the vast majority of us have not not wow. gone to this particular kind of school. Right? we haven't had the course in the schools that we've gone to. so I, I think this is really an approach that all of us should pay attention to, and if you're already doing it, fine, that's fantastic. but most. My experience of working with so many people uh, all over the United States is very few people are really taking very good care of themselves. And I know people are, you know they're trying to, they're out there doing physical exercise, which is great, and people are meditating and doing yoga. But even among those groups, what I find, and i work worked with a lot of those people, is there's so many things they haven't dealt with that the techniques that I'm teaching in the transformation can and do help them deal with. So it's a. To me, this is this is a, a, a universal issue, and then this points to what's one of the things that's missing in our whole system of education. Our children should be learning these things; shouldn't have to wait till we become adults and are, you know, suffering from various kinds of symptoms or distress.
0: Dr. James Gordon, the book is *The Transformation: Discovering Wholeness and Healing After Trauma*. I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it.